The following KOPN podcast is made possible by the generous donations from listeners like you. Please consider a donation to listener-supported community radio, KOPN. You can donate securely online at kopn.org. Thank you. Hi, welcome to Food Sleuth Radio, where we help you think beyond your plate. I'm Melinda Hemmelgarn, a registered dietitian and investigative nutritionist on a mission to connect the dots between food, health, and agriculture and find food truth. And today I'm delighted to welcome back one of my favorite guests, Ms. Carrie Gillum. She is an investigative journalist who has spent more than 20 years researching and reporting how our food is produced spending most of her career with the international news agency Reuters. Ms. Gillum's work has revealed decades of corporate secrets and deceptive tactics by powerful pesticide companies, including the global giant Monsanto company. We last spoke in 2017, in fact, after her first book was published titled Whitewash, The Story of a Weed Killer, Cancer, and the Corruption of Science. That book won the Rachel Carson Book Award from the Society of Environmental Journalists in 2018. Ms. Gillum has testified internationally as an invited expert to the European Parliament in 2017. She was also an invited speaker at the World Forum for Democracy in Strasbourg, France in 2019. She works as a writer and researcher at the nonprofit investigative group titled U.S. Right to Know. She is a contributor to The Guardian. And today we're going to talk about her latest book, which is titled The Monsanto Papers, Deadly Secrets, Corporate Corruption, and One Man's Search for Justice. It was released by Island Press in March of 2021. This book explores the inside story of Lee Johnson's 2018 lawsuit and trial against Monsanto. Johnson was a groundskeeper who developed non-Hodgkin's lymphoma and has blamed that exposure on Roundup. We'll also talk about her excellent presentation at the Beyond Pesticides Forum, just this spring, titled A Conversation About Accountability, and in full disclosure, I serve on the Beyond Pesticides Board. Welcome, Carrie. Thank you. Thank you for having me. Well, it's my pleasure. You are doing incredible behind-the-scenes research, and it's information that is really hard for most of us to either know how to find, how to gather, let alone how to report. So I want to step back and just ask you, how did you first become interested in reporting on food and agriculture? Oh, gosh, isn't that a great question? The truthful answer is I was assigned this by Reuters, the international news agency, and I wasn't too happy about it, actually. I was covering the banking industry, writing about big banks and high finance, and I thought that was very important. And I was asked to move to Kansas and start covering food and farming, agriculture, this company named Monsanto that had just rolled out genetically engineered crops. This was in the 1990s. And, you know, I thought, oh, that doesn't sound very sexy, very fun, right? Very edgy. But I came to learn that, of course, there is really nothing more important. Is there no more important industry to us than agriculture and how our food is grown? Uh, It is fundamental to our health our future, our children, our families, we all eat. So I feel very lucky to have been doing this now for 20-some years and have really tried to dig deep, I guess, unintended, to really understand the industry and uh, the impacts not only on our health but on our environmental health as well. 
Well, just when I thought there couldn't be any more written about Monsanto, you come out with the Monsanto papers, and this is really a deep dive into Lee Johnson, and we'll talk about Lee, but also the whole process by which someone goes about suing a big corporation and where we might look to the future in terms of keeping our food and environment safe. So how did you first find out about Lee Johnson? Oh, gosh, yeah. Well, I had been covering, of course, this building litigation. And my first book, Whitewash, which you you kindly mentioned, was really an investigative book exposing the lies and the deceit that Monsanto had engaged in for many, many years and all of the scientific research that the company had tried to suppress showing the links between its weed killer and cancer, and particularly non-Hodgkin lymphoma. And so I was following that and following the litigation that was building, and Lee Johnson was one of the first people to file a lawsuit in early 2016, and he actually then became the very first person in the world to take Monsanto to court. And as I got to know about him and to follow his story and, of course, watch the trial and then all that led up to the trial, I just found, first of all, he's an incredible person diagnosed with this horrible type of cancer, given 18 months to live, has two little boys, really just was devastated because he grew up without his own father in his life, and he so wanted to always be there for his boys. And so he was not only fighting cancer and trying to survive for his family, but then he becomes the first person to fight this giant chemical company and to take them on in court, of course, with the help of his lawyers. And I just, it's an incredible story of human perseverance and what it takes to do these things. And I, I really thought it's got to be a movie, but of course, I don't know how to make movies. So I knew how to write books. And so I wrote a book about this and I, I tried to write it in a way that people could connect. You know, it's really sort of a, a narrative story about individuals and challenges. And Lee's story is, is a heartbreaking one still mm-hmm. you know, to me personally. It is suspenseful nonfiction. It's really a great read. And I think it's important for people to connect with other individuals who are suffering. And you and I are both based in the Midwest, and I'm sure that we both know many people in addition to Lee who have suffered with cancer, whose children have cancer, who live in rural environments. And you think, gosh, they're farm families. You know, they seem to be living such a, a healthy life. Why is cancer so prevalent in these rural communities? And then you dive in and you start reading, well, the World Health Organization actually has reported that these herbicides that are sprayed on largely on genetically modified crops do indeed are probable carcinogens, they're endocrine disruptors. And yet, the narratives that we get from the industry question those good, solid scientific findings. How do they get away with that? Yeah, all of that is so alarming. And it's what I came to realize covering this industry from the 1990s into the 2000s, and really spending a lot of time with farmers and scientists and agronomists and grain handlers and regulatory officials and spending time in learning that there really is an understanding from our top scientists in our government and academics around the world that these pesticides, these chemicals, herbicides as well as insecticides and fungicides that are being used 
on our food in the conjunction with the growing of our food are tied to a whole range of not only cancers, but kidney and liver problems, neurodevelopmental problems in children, infertility. It's just, it goes on and on and on. And it's for the people who know this, I guess, and understand it, and farmers certainly are aware to a degree of many of the risks that they face, but it's a trade-off. It's a risk-reward ratio and a balance that you have to make in you know, do we want to use these inputs, these synthetic chemicals? Will this help us increase our yields? Will this make growing these crops easier in the face of insect pressure or drought or weed pressure? And so my goal, I guess, has never really been to particularly attack a pesticide or to try to ban a pesticide. But what I came to realize and understand is there has been a great cover-up or whitewashing or effort to deceive not only consumers and farmers, but regulators to a degree as well, although there's a lot of evidence of complicity on the part, collusion and on the part of regulators. And it really what I've found is it all comes down, you know, it's money and power, which I guess is what we see across all realms of life and politics and industry. Mm-hmm. Money and power usually win the day. And there's a huge industrial agricultural lobbying powerhouse that works in Washington, D.C., as well as Europe and many other countries. And they simply push through what they want to make their billions of dollars off the backs of other people. And quite often that means literally pushing poisons down the throats of families around the world. Right. Well, what's so unique about Lee is that he was successful in finding an attorney who would represent him. And I wonder if you could describe that process a little bit for us, because in my experience, when I speak to people who have really suffered because they've been victims of drift, for example, it's really hard for them to, A, find an attorney who will represent them, let alone able to afford one. So how was Lee able to get representation? That's a really good question, and you're right. I mean, it does highlight a really important problem that we don't have good protection of consumers who are injured or develop disease because of their exposures to these chemicals and pesticides. Lee was lucky, I guess, to a degree that the International Agency for Research on Cancer in March of 2015 came out and said, our top scientists have looked at years and years and years of epidemiology and toxicology and other studies on this chemical glyphosate, which most people know as Roundup, and we've determined that it's a probable human carcinogen. There is enough evidence to show ties to non-Hodgkin lymphoma and other health problems, and we're going to classify it as a probable human carcinogen. So with that, lawyers around the United States said, we know people out there are injured and who have been suffering. There's no warning label showing that this could cause cancer. People have not been properly given information about the risks that they face when they use this. And so they started advertising for clients. Lee simply saw an advertisement on the internet one night as he was scrolling, unable to sleep because of the painful lesions, cancerous lesions all over his body. And called this firm in Virginia, and his story got underway then. A lawsuit was filed, and they started getting discovery documents from Monsanto. And when he was told he had but 18 months left to live, 
his lawyers were able then to get him what is called a preference trial or an expedited trial to push him to the front of the list. And since then, there are over 100,000 other people just in the United States suffering from non-Hodgkin lymphoma who have sued Monsanto as well. And there have been three trials now. Lease was the first. The plaintiffs in those three trials won unanimous jury verdicts. The last of the three trials, the jury said that the plaintiffs were due $2 billion in damages because they were so outraged at the evidence that showed that Monsanto had long known that its products might cause cancer and had done everything they could to hide that information. And you really have been the lead journalist, from my perspective, in uncovering some of these secret documents at Monsanto. And of course, Monsanto has not been very happy with you. And this was prior to you even covering the Lee Johnson story. But how does a person go about finding those secret documents? What did you do? So for my first book, I mean, part of being a reporter, I mean, that's what we do, right, is you try to dig up data and documents and sources and information. Our duty is to the public. It's to the doctors and lawyers and nutritionists and dietitians and teachers and everyone out there who, who's doing their important work. And our important work is to find information that's relevant and meaningful in your lives. And so mine happened to be digging into this big world of agriculture and, and Monsanto and its products and practices. So one of the things that I was able to get a lot of use out of was the EPA in terms of documents, our Environmental Protection Agency. I was able to find my way to an EPA, first of all, an archive of EPA documents that dated back to the 70s, and that was incredibly helpful to see internal EPA documents that had basically become available through this archive. And then I also filed Freedom of Information Act requests and actually had to sue the EPA twice to get documents, but was able to get thousands of pages of documents. And then, uh, you know, as these lawsuits started to be filed and discovery documents were turned over by Monsanto, I was able to gain access to those through various ways. And when you put it all together, it tells quite a story, certainly. Exactly. Let me take one break because we're halfway through and just remind our listeners that if you are just joining us, you're tuned into Food Sleuth Radio. We are speaking with Ms. Carrie Gillum. She's an investigative journalist and she covers agriculture. And her first book is fabulous. It's titled Whitewash, the Story of a Weed Killer, Cancer and the Corruption of Science that was published in 2017. And it's award-winning. She has now written another book titled The Monsanto Papers, Deadly Secrets, Corporate Corruption, and One Man's Search for Justice. And that's what we are deep into discussing. So Lee Johnson has good representation. This costs money. How does he afford it? That is another good question, right? So in these types of lawsuits, these mass torts, where law firms are actually advertising for clients, the clients don't pay a dime. The lawyers take these cases on, and they essentially are doing it on a contingency basis. Plaintiffs like Lee will sign a contract agreeing that if any money is won, that the lawyers will take 40%, sometimes 30 35 but in this roundup litigation, it was closer to 40%. So the lawyers get a big chunk of any winnings. Of course, they get nothing if they lose. 
and to prepare these cases for trial, they often have to spend millions of dollars. These law firms involved in the Roundup litigation put out millions and millions of dollars before they ever went to trial to develop their cases and to get their scientific experts and do their research and and handle the discovery documents and just attend the hearings and trials around the country. And so it really is an expensive undertaking. And what I learned, you know, I've covered agriculture. I really haven't covered the legal world, but I learned just what an incredibly fascinating universe that is, too. And there's a lot of good, bad, and ugly involved in how that works out, how that sausage is made, what goes on behind the scenes of these very big mass tort cases that happen. But I write about this a little bit at the end of the book. I came to realize without these types of lawyers who do this, who put their own money on the line and spend months, if not years, for these lawyers in Roundup, it's been years that they've been bringing these cases now. Without them, there's no avenue for accountability for recovery of, you know, for anything, for these people who have suffered so much because of their exposures to these chemicals or people who've been damaged through medical devices that have malfunctioned, uh, you know, or, or other products that have become faulty or carry risks that people have not been properly warned about. You know, we would hope our regulators would be doing the work to protect the public, but what the documents and the data and the track record shows us very clearly is that they're not. And we need these lawyers to do that work for us, to protect us. It's not the way it should be by any means, in my view, but it's all we have right now. And, you know, that was such an important take-home message for me from this work, that yes, our regulators are not holding manufacturers accountable. And yes, we are dependent on what you call a litigation machine. And for people who don't really know how to navigate that space, and how would we? It's not something that we learn, you know, we don't take a course in high school on how to best represent ourselves in the legal system, but it's really important. And how interesting that it was, Lee found something online, because we see these ads all the time. They're even on billboards. You know, if you're driving down the highway, have you been harmed by X, Y, or Z? Call this number. But it's interesting that perhaps that's the way to go about it. Yeah. As I said, I saw a lot of good, bad, and ugly. There's an exploitive nature to it, certainly, I think, where there are the lawyers and law firms who troll for clients, but maybe don't put as much time and effort into representing them as they should. Then there are obviously groups of lawyers like those who worked with Lee and others who work 24 hours a day for months and months on end and really put their entire lives on hold to take these cases forward. So it's an imperfect system, certainly, but it's one that that has been useful in creating and forcing change, really. Uh, we now, in the case of this Roundup litigation, Monsanto's owner, the German pharmaceutical company, Bayer, many people know them as the aspirin maker, Bayer has finally said that they're going to pay out about $11 billion to try to settle this litigation and that they are now considering removing Roundup products, glyphosate products, from residential use from homeowners because of this litigation. So they still insist on using it in agriculture, but they are being forced to address this in some way. And certainly people now understand the risks 
and understand that if they want to use this product, maybe they do need to wear protective gloves and long sleeves and wash really well afterwards. It's, it's a matter of balancing risk versus reward. It's a matter of understanding the risks that you face. And mm. these companies, when they want to hide that from us, it's an injustice to us all. And so that's what we're trying to do. With That's what I've been trying to do with my work. And I think maybe you do as well, is just shine a light on important information that people need to protect their health. Exactly. And to show us that the messages that we've gotten from the industry to protect the bottom line rather than protecting public health, they're false narratives and they're so believable and they're, we want to believe them, you know, like how wonderful to feed the world. And a lot of people think, well, if the product is sold, it must be safe because our regulators are looking out for us. But you pull back that curtain and you show us the truth behind a lot of this. I want to get back to Lee for one second because Lee, I don't believe, has received any money to date. Or do you have an update on that? I do. And wouldn't you know it, right after my book went to print is <laughs> when he actually got paid. So we're going to be doing a, an update in the reprint. But his initial jury award was $289 million. And Monsanto appealed that and appealed and appealed and appealed. And though they lost their bids for new trial and they lost their bid to have the verdict thrown out, they did uh, get the the verdict actually whittled down to $20.5 million. Mm. And then their last avenue was to go all the way to the U.S. Supreme Court, and they decided not to do that and did pay Lee late in 2020 his money, minus the fees, of course, taken out by the law firm. Right. And it's my understanding that Bayer is trying to limit future financial claims. Is that correct? Do you have any information on that? Oh my gosh, yes. I've been writing about that. They have been working so hard for a year now to try to come up with a program, a strategy in which they don't have to face this going on and on and on. They want to keep their product on the market. They don't want to put a warning label on it that says it could cause cancer, but they also don't want people to keep suing them and winning. So they've presented to a federal judge a few different options now. The federal judge has shot them down each time and said, absolutely not, this isn't going to be fair. They tried to propose setting up a science panel that essentially would take the place of a jury to decide if this causes cancer or not. They wanted to limit people from being able to file lawsuits for a number of years. They wanted to, I mean, there's a whole lot of different things that they were trying to do that the judge essentially said, no, that's not going to work. Well, and just for our listeners to keep up with this, and it's it's always evolving, right? It's like we have to check in every week or so to keep up with the latest. But your writing for U.S. Right to Know is really fantastic. And it's the one place that I go to truly try to keep up with a lot of the pesticide data that you have uncovered. And you did uncover much of it in the excellent presentation that you gave for the Beyond Pesticide Forum. And you really helped us see just how influential these herbicides and pesticides are in our total health. So it's not just cancer, as you mentioned earlier. You also mentioned fertility, but it's also a reduced strength of our immune system to fight illnesses like COVID that we're facing now. So to keep our immune system strong, we also have to reduce our exposure to these toxins. 
And U.S. Right to Know is the great source for keeping up on all of this. We have about four minutes left. And so I want to put the ball in your court. We can dive more into the Monsanto papers, or we can move into some of the great presentation information that you gave at the Beyond Pesticides Forum. What do you want our listeners to know from your research? Oh, you're so kind. Yeah, thank you. Yeah, I mean, I do obviously want people, I hope people will read the Monsanto papers. I hope that they will have sympathy and and empathy for Lee and his position and care. If they don't already have someone in their lives with cancer, you know, I hope that they will realize that they probably will soon. 40% of men and women in the U.S. are expected to get cancer, forecast to get cancer in their lifetimes, according to the National Cancer Institute. 40%, that's our children and our grandchildren. More than 600,000 people died last year from cancer. It's tied to environmental contaminants like pesticides. Obviously, genetics play a role, but our top scientists tell us environmental contaminants including pesticides, are spurring cancers, links to Parkinson's disease, paraquat, which is another weed killer. There's abundant evidence that is contributing to rising rates of Parkinson's, insecticides that our our government scientists and, and others around the world have shown are damaging children's brains when they're exposed. And it's important for people to realize this isn't If you're not a farm kid, it doesn't mean you're okay. These chemicals are in our food, the food you eat every day. They're in our water. The Food and Drug Administration, the nerdy reporter in me, tracks these giant reports that they put out every year about pesticide residues in our foods. And the most recent one shows they found 212 different kinds of pesticides in thousands of food samples in their most recent report. We're just being inundated with this toxins on a regular basis. And it's just crucial to our future and the future for our kids that we understand and appreciate and take measures, whatever those are in our own lives, to protect ourselves. And as you said, protect our immune systems. Viruses like COVID, you know, are going to keep coming at us and we have to be as healthy as possible. So... I guess that's my sales pitch, right? Well, and I think Um, that there's also this big industry trying very hard to protect their profits. And it's books like yours that help us pull back that curtain and see how they operate and how individuals might be invited or disinvited to conferences to present this kind of information. I mean, it's the work that investigative journalists do is critically important And I hope that our listeners really do hold reporters and hold good journalists, good investigative journalists on a pedestal because they're so important in protecting our democracy, really. Yeah, definitely. I agree. And and we're seeing even the powerful corporations are trying to take over media narratives as well. And there, there are a lot of strategies that they are using now to try to shift the focus. It's very difficult to get to the truthful information, but... We are trying to do that, and and everybody out there should try to do that. And thank you for having me on today to talk about it, and appreciate it all. I do, too. We've got to close because we're out of time, but I want to remind everyone that Food Sleuth Radio is produced by Dan Hemmelgarn for KOPN Studios in beautiful downtown Columbia, Missouri. 
I want to thank our listeners for joining us. And most of all, I want to thank my guest, Ms. Carrie Gillum, investigative journalist, author of two excellent books, the first titled Whitewash, the story of a weed killer, cancer, and the corruption of science. And the second that we've been talking about today is the Monsanto Papers, Deadly Secrets, Corporate Corruption, and One Man's Search for Justice. And I will provide links to Carrie's website, carriegillum.com, as well as a link to the Monsanto Papers at Island Press. Thank you so much for being my guest. Thank you for having me. 